Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Welcome to episode 35 of the SLP Talk Show. I am Carrie, and I am here with my partner in crime, Jim. Hello, hello. We're back. It is uh, the holiday season. We're wrapping up 2022, so that means we're getting ready for a new year filled with new adventures, aren't we? Yeah, it's been a while since we've uh, done this. I know. The holidays... Hopefully I remember how. (laughs) I know. The the holidays, I don't know, they just kind of take over and... It's you been know, crazy. It has been. And I know it's crazy for everybody. And so uh, we're kind of on the other side of the holiday chaos and trying to get back right, yeah. into so, our work mode. Yep. yep. Easier said than done, it isn't is. it? It is. I know. I know. So I think that as we wrap up our final episode of 2022, we should start with a quick game of Chump or Champ. Oh, okay. So that how sounds, are you feeling? I'm, I'm, I don't know. You're feeling good, yes? I, I feel... You're feeling lucky. 75%. 75%. So last like, night, like, Jim and I played a new game. Do you remember what it's called? Or maybe 81%, like B minus. B minus, 81%. Okay. Let's do that. What was the game we played last night? Wits End? Wits End. Wits End. Highly recommend if you're into trivia, because two people can play. Now that Jim and I are like essentially empty nesters, like we all, we, all our kids are grown. I mean, Aaron still lives here, but he's not really into trivia games. No. But um, so we're a big game family, so I tried to find games that two of us could play, and it's called right. Wits End. Right. Highly recommend. Jim, of course, won, but it was close. I did. Yeah, I held you, my own. You, you had a chance. Yeah. So it's a it's a really fun game. I highly recommend it. Um, so here we go. Four questions, and let's see if Jim can get four out of four. Okay. I have a good feeling about these questions. Okay. Jim. Okay. Well. Question number one: Who was nicknamed Old Blue Eyes? Uh, Frank Sinatra. Ding 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 ding. How many? This is a math question. Oh no. Here we go. We're gonna make you think. How many seconds are there in one hour? Thirty-six hundred. Ding 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 ding. Wow. Wow. You are doing good. Oh, now you'll know this one. Okay. How many strings does a violin have? Uh, four. Ah, uh, absolutely excellent. And the last one. I think you can do it, Jim. Okay. Who was the American financier, 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 finance, I don't know how you say the word. Financier. Who, who, after being convicted of fraud and money laundering, was sentenced to 150 years in prison in 2009? Bernie Madoff. Bernie. Good old Bernie Madoff. You did it. Bernie Madoff with your cash. Bernie Madoff with all your cash. Yes, he did. It's a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> it is a Ponzi scheme. We watched interesting, a movie about interesting that. Interesting little fact on that. It's okay. actually... Ponzi is named after the first guy to pull this prank or this this deal. Oh yeah, I think his name was Charles Ponzi. Charles Ponzi, mm-hmm. and he did it. We is that the movie we watched recently about, or we watched the no, movie about a Ponzi I've, scheme? I've just watched weird documentaries. Yes, so. Jim is very knowledgeable, hence his um, gift at trivia. Which tonight's Tuesday, so we're going yep. to trivia tonight. Yep. Back to pub trivia. We're excited. Okay, so um, I have to tell you this crazy <clears throat> story though. So our daughter is getting married in June, and right. her future in-laws came for the holidays, right. and they live on the East Coast, and they were supposed to fly home this morning. And right. their flight was canceled, and they cannot get a flight until Monday. 
This is Tuesday, oh, and they gosh. cannot get a flight until Monday because of all the chaos with the crazy weather and all the flight cancellations. So I feel so bad for them, but I hope that means they can join us for trivia tonight. Oh, well, maybe. We'll have extra yeah. extra brains yeah. to, to help us win. Okay, so let's get to uh, some some therapy stuff. What do you say? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, so today what I wanted to talk about is something called ethnographic interviewing. Whoa. I know. It sounds fancy and That's, important, doesn't it? Yeah. Ethnographic interviewing. I feel and like I'm going to learn something. You are going to learn something, and this is such an exciting topic. Um, probably not for like the general public, but for those of us who have to do evaluations. This is better than a documentary. This is, this is like a, a documentary. It is. <laughs> it's so exciting. So ethnographic interviewing, it sounds fancy and important because it is. Okay. okay? So there are two references uh, that I used uh, for this information, and I'll put them in the show notes. Okay. There's one. Um, from 2003, and there's another reference from July of this year, 2022. So okay. they're both on ethnographic interviewing. You can always just Google ethnographic interviewing if you want to learn more about it. Um, but I really just wanted to go over the basics here. So whenever we do an evaluation, so for those of us who work in pediatrics, we are interviewing uh, and, and getting background information about the child's development, you know, medical history, all of that from the child's parents family, caregivers, right? So that's who we are getting our, our background information from. If you happen to work with adults, you're getting a lot of this information from the patient themselves, okay? So mm -hmm. for us, because right. I work in peds, I'm gonna be talking about getting the caregiver's perspective, whether it's parents, grandparents, nanny, child mm -hmm. care provider, right. right? Whoever Anybody it is. That's Anybody in who's their life. taking, yeah, taking care of the child, teaching the child, whatever. So what I usually would put in an evaluation report is the following background information was obtained uh, via, right, and you can say standardized testing, skilled observation, mm -hmm. medical report from the doctor and caregiver or patient report. So we always kind of include that, that we got some of this information from this report of the, the family. So how do we get this firsthand report? Well, it's through, or it should be through ethnographic interviewing okay so ethnographic interviewing provides this framework for asking descriptive questions that allows the caregiver or if you work with adults the patient themselves to offer a a vivid firsthand description of their life experiences okay so what this does is it helps us as the provider um it, plan our, our therapy goals, right? Write our therapy goals and create our plan of care, if you will. So there's a right way to ask questions. And this is the ethnographic interviewing process. So did you know there's a right way to ask questions, Jim? Um, no. No. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to enlighten you because these are some great tips. Let's see how many tips I have. 10 tips for um, uh, asking uh, the right questions in the right way, okay? The first thing is you want to explain to the caregivers why you're asking these questions. I think it's important because otherwise if you just start in asking personal questions, uh, sometimes families are like, well, this seems really yeah. weird. Like, how is this relevant? Like, you know, if you're a speech therapist and you're interviewing the parent and you're asking about things like bedtime routine and, you know, when did he crawl? And sometimes parents are like, what yeah, does... Yeah, so you have to put it in context. Yeah, you have to put it in context. And so when you're doing an evaluation, this first conversation is how you begin to establish collaboration and trust because I always say sure. that partnering with parents is everything when so you work with pediatrics. that has to start at the very beginning. It starts at the very beginning. So it's the way you ask those questions, sure. right? So yeah. it matters, okay? So it shouldn't be, oh, I have to hurry and just get through this information so I can write a report. You mm -hmm. are you are beginning the most important 
process, which is building collaboration and trust, building an authentic yeah. you know, partnership yeah. with these caregivers. Makes sense. So you want to let them know that their experience and their report is critical to this evaluation process. So that's the first thing is you want to explain why you know, you're digging okay. in, why you're asking mm-hmm. these questions. The second uh, a tip is to create more of a conversational flow. And the way you do this is by asking more open-ended questions and fewer yes-no questions. Okay. Because when you ask yes-no questions, a whole lot of them. I understand we're going to ask a few yes-no questions, right? Um, Not a whole lot of conversation happening. No, then. because then it's, it's unilateral, right? right? You don't get this bi-directional um, conversational flow. Uh, so when you ask too many yes-no questions, it honestly starts to feel a little bit like an interrogation. Sure. Yeah. So let's say I'm interviewing you and, you know, Aaron is your son and, and I, you know, he's two years old and somebody's interviewing and okay. somebody says, ask you questions like this. Does your son feed himself with a spoon does he sleep in his own bed does he turn and look when you call his name does he say at least 50 words does he bring you toys and books to initiate an interaction with you does he like hugs does he frequently line up his toys do you hear how? Yeah. Like, okay. And I feel I, I mean, attacked. Well, you should feel attacked. But <clears throat> normally, obviously, I would give you time to respond to those. But my point is just to give you an example of sure. what yes/no questions sound like. Is they're also kind of loaded? Wouldn't you agree? If I yeah. start asking, yeah. I mean, you, you, so you're kind of like on the receiving end of that. You're thinking, why? Why are you asking me this? I mean, what are you getting at here? Exactly. So yes, no questions. While we as the provider doing the evaluation, we know what we're getting at. Maybe we're trying to figure out about. Yeah. I mean, does that mean, I'm sorry. Um, No, you're good. Does that mean though that like when you ask them in that way that you have this preconceived notion of you, like you've already, you've, you've spent 30 seconds here Uh with the family, with the child or with, with Uh whoever you're you're evaluating and you've already got a, an idea an in your idea head of what you think is going of on. What, so, I mean, that I think could, from a parent's standpoint, uh-huh. be like, wait a second. Yeah. You know, Where are you, are you seriously this? just going to spend, you know, one minute with my child and you've got it all figured out? Right, right. You know, because right. that would that that be frustrating, I think, for me. I mean, you know, because, you know, it, it happens when you go to the doctor sometimes. It does. It does. And I they were think- like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, here, here, here it is. Here's your medicine. I think that, oh gosh, sorry, making a mess. Um, I think that also this sort of um, makes parents feel like, oh, my son doesn't do those things, so there clearly must be something wrong. Like even if they sure. don't understand where you're going, like some parents wouldn't understand where questions like this are leading because mm-hmm. our son, in case you are a first time listener, our son is autistic. And right. so when he was two, these would be common questions people would, you know, ask because it didn't take... Um, professionals, you know, a lot of time to, you know, be in a room with him to go, oh, there's something different about his development. And so they would want to go down, you know, this well, kind and, of And just, road. so, I mean, from my memory of some of the way the, the questions were asked, it was, you know, they'd ask the question, like, you know, do they line up things? Uh-huh. And then it would be, Mm. Mm. Yeah, it was their reaction afterwards. Oh. And then they'd take copious notes, like, oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you so, know, almost like, Oh man, there's so something be better. really wrong here. Right, and what I really want to do is I want to do a follow up, um, uh, maybe sometime to this topic of you know maybe better types of questions about sure. development to ask. So this is kind of you know just ask open ended questions. So it'd be things like, tell me um, about you know playtime. 
when you know tell oh, me about yeah. Aaron during play tell me about mealtime you know tell me uh, uh, about Aaron's bedtime routine you know what I mean so it's just more of uh, an open-ended conversation yeah where you're not implying right. anything okay right. so the third tip is ask for specific examples so um, maybe specifically well how do you know when he's thirsty because maybe the parent says oh well he doesn't he doesn't say any words he doesn't talk oh, well, how do you know when he's hungry? Or how do you know when he's thirsty? And mm-hmm. so what that does is it it, it it causes parents to have to reflect. Because sure. now we're asking them a thought-provoking question, but it's open-ended, where the parent, I don't know how your kid lets you know when he's thirsty, but surely he knows he does something, right? So maybe the parent says, oh, well, he doesn't say any words, but... You know, usually when he's thirsty, he takes a sippy cup and throws it on the kitchen floor. Okay, well, that's, <laughs> okay. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's a specific example then that really helps me to be able to document how he right. communicates. Okay. okay. So specific examples are important. The fourth tip, restate what was said using the caregiver's exact words. Okay. Okay, so if the parent says, I don't have anyone to help take care of Aaron, and mm-hmm. the provider responds, oh, that must be really hard for you. You understand that's not what the parent said. The parent didn't say, that's your interpretation, okay? Uh-huh. So it would be better to say, um, you don't have anyone to help out with Aaron. So you're just repeating the exact words to let them know I heard you, right? Mm-hmm. And the parent may then, because you've acknowledged it, they may then reflect a little further and add, my mom and dad don't know what to do when Aaron has a meltdown. Oh, okay. Okay, so now we're getting to, you know, mm-hmm. it, the, the, the parent never said it's it's really hard. That was your interpretation. They just said, sure. I don't have anyone to help out with Aaron. Right. Okay. The fifth tip, summarize their statements and ask them to correct you if you have misinterpreted something. So if you, um, you know, want to summarize kind of, we're moving on to a new topic, like summarize it and then say, did I get that right? Mm Because I want you to let me know if I'm misunderstanding something. Because we really want when the parent reads this evaluation report to feel like these are their words, not that we've interpreted their words. Okay, yeah, there's a big difference. There is, there is. All right, the sixth tip, this is, I think, just probably the one that makes the most common sense. Avoid asking multiple questions in the same sentence. So if you were to ask, what time of day is most difficult for you and Aaron, and why do you think it's so challenging? That's a lot to digest, right? right? So just ask one question at a time. Now this one, when I first started really studying ethnographic interviewing, this one threw me for a loop, number seven. And I have had to rework uh, some of my courses and some of my case case studies uh, because this was powerful. So avoid asking why questions. Okay, now let's talk about this. When you ask a why question, number one, it sounds judgmental. And number two, it assumes the person knows why. So let me give you an example. Okay. Okay. If you as the parent say, Aaron won't sleep in his own bed. Remember, our son wouldn't sleep in his own bed for a long time. Or then for a while, he had to have someone sleep with him. All right. right? So Aaron won't sleep in his own bed. So the provider then asks, why won't he sleep in his own bed? Well, as the parent, you may not know why, because I think we didn't know why. I mean, we had no idea why. But now because I'm asking you why, you feel compelled to provide an answer and you feel kind of judged for not being successful with this parenting responsibility, sure. right? So when I ask, why doesn't he sleep in his own bed? And you're like, crap, I don't really know why, but I better give her some reason because she's looking at me as though I should know why. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a better way to phrase the question might be, what do you think are some possible reasons for Aaron not sleeping in his own bed? Okay. Okay, so it's still asking the same thing. But it doesn't mean you have the answer. No, but it's not judgmental. And it doesn't right. mean there's, it acknowledges there could be multiple possibilities. Sure. 
um, for this occurring. Right. But let's, what I want to know is what are your thoughts on this? You know, because maybe then as the parent, you would say things like, well, it seems like he just always wants to be touching someone. So like he wants to be, you know, uh, have his hand on my back, you know, or he likes sleeping between me and my wife. He feels, he seems to feel safer or, right. um, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, I don't know. You might have multiple thoughts, but maybe you've kind of discounted them because they don't seem to make sense. But sure. at least then I'm not just saying, well, why? Why? Because yeah. then you're like, well, if I knew why, I'd fix it. I don't know why, yeah. right? I, you I wouldn't probably it. be here. If I no, knew exactly. So if you can learn to rephrase your questions so you're not asking why and instead asking what are some possible reasons for this happening, sure. it's just a more gentle interviewing approach. Yeah. Okay. So I really like that one. This is probably one of the most important ones, though. Avoid asking leading questions. So let's say the parent says, well, we had some problems with our last daycare center. The provider then asks, what did you not like about it? Okay. Or the provider asks, what did they do to upset you? Do you understand how you're now leading them? Because you're suggesting that they did something or that something negative really happened. They said we had problems and you ask, what did you not like about it? What did they do to upset you? Um, A better response would be, tell me more about your experience there. Okay. See how that's not leading now. So it allows you to, because it could have just been that... um, they wanted the kids there by a certain time and if you were late you like had to ring the bell and then they had to stand outside in the cold do you see what i mean it could have been something like about procedure it doesn't mean that like they were unhappy or that you know something really bad happened so avoid asking those leading questions where you're going to get could have just been it was hard to get to that location exactly exactly so we had to find a different place so we had problems with our last daycare center well tell me about your experience there isn't that a better answer or you know we had problems with our last speech therapist Oh, well, tell me about your experience, right? Instead sure. of saying, what'd she do to upset you? Or what did you not like about her services, <laughs> right, right. right? So just be really cognizant of, of the language that you use, sure. okay? And now the ninth tip is use pausing. And I've always called this strategy silence, right? But mm-hmm. pausing allows more time for the caregiver to process their answers. So this is, um, this careful pacing helps us to kind of acknowledge when the caregiver may be has a change in their tone of voice. They're mm-hmm. shifting in their chair more. They're pierced. You know, it's it allows us to kind of observe. But I also find that when you ask a question, especially if the caregiver responds with, I don't know, I don't know, and they're very quick, I usually will just pause and allow them a little more time to reflect because sometimes that silence mm-hmm. just gives them an opportunity to expand a little bit. Well, silence is awkward. And so you feel like you have to fill it with meaningless something and so if i'm not filling it it allows it to just be and and i sometimes my body posture has to be soft and and welcoming too where i'm not like looking at my watch like hurry up people you know i've got another appointment coming and so i think parents really um, appreciate when they see that you're relaxed that you don't appear rushed that you aren't just hurrying up trying to write down the answers and get out of here as fast as you can sure remember that first conversation with the families well and aren't first you impressions. aren't you showing that you that you're you know you care about yeah, what their is situation that, there's you, that one quote by that president i can't even think i, I use it one people of my, won't care about, no they don't people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Right. Teddy Roosevelt. Like it was something like it was, I think it was I think it was Roosevelt. I think so. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Right. right. So you you have to be able to build that authentic connection with the family. Right. And I think um, thoughtful pacing, right? Careful pacing, um, building in some silence, not looking at your watch, not appearing rushed, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things 
um, are, are extremely important during that very first visit. And then the tenth tip is recognize our own implicit bias. And this is something we've all been doing a lot of reflecting on. I think the past, um, hopefully the past few years has really got a, a lot of us thinking about this. So it's really our professional responsibility to practice cultural humility. And this is a quote from one of the articles that I uh, referenced, and I will put it in the, the that article in the show notes. But it's from Jamie Terrell Hassey. And um, it's, so this is taken directly from the article. We need to continuously educate ourselves and think critically about health inequalities, system of oppression and racism, and the privilege and power dynamics at play. Keep asking, how is this showing up here? So mm-hmm. we have to be careful about the questions that we ask, right? Sure. As a a white middle-class speech language pathologist in early intervention, mm-hmm. I come with implicit bias that I'm sure. not even meaning it's implicit. I'm not even aware of it. Well, cultural hum- humility means you should be reflecting on your own right. implicit bias and understand your own privilege and understand that everybody doesn't parent uh, right. the same way that, that you do or that your neighbors do. And so um, uh, another quote from that same article, Hassie says, Quote, ethnographic interviewing is essential to providing compassionate, anti-oppressive, anti-racist, trauma-informed care. It's not only the questions we ask, but the way we ask them. Sure, absolutely. It's in the invitation we offer and the space we allow. There is value in the results we provide and in the process within which we collaborate. This work can continue to evolve and improve if we remember that truly effective communication is a two way street mm-hmm. isn't that powerful yeah and i think behind that is is love i think that you you yep. have you know you you treat people with love in your heart yep. and, and and compassion right and compassion and, yeah. and, and then you know that's that's where the good stuff is that's where it all happens yeah. right because until you have that that connection and that trust with this person who's a stranger right was a stranger until you mm-hmm. knocked on their door five right. minutes ago um you can't expect them to just be like oh yeah let me just open up to you about everything so we have to come with this cultural humility and understand i've never walked in your shoes so your right. lived experience is everything to me right, right. and right. i want right. to understand your lived experience i'm not here to judge your lived experience right. so i feel like what i've been um a speech language pathologist i'm going to my 27th year now and i think of how far i've evolved and i hope um that our our new grads are learning about ethnographic interviewing you know Mm -hmm. really learning there's a right way to ask questions so as we wrap up i just want you to kind of uh, think about how you can begin implementing some of these these strategies uh when you head back to work whether it's you know tomorrow whether it's after the new year uh whenever it is but ethnographic interviewing is very important and i just thought it's a great way to maybe start out 2023 is with some some fresh insight into it's not just what you ask but but how you ask those questions awesome excellent all right guys thanks for listening to another episode of slp talk show if you're enjoying the podcast please tell your colleagues to give us a listen we appreciate a five-star review so get out there be kind be accepting and please get your mammogram early detection could save your life it certainly saved mine until we meet again i'll see you in 2023 cheers